coming straight from the cockpit. It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right, back in the can for another uh, COVID edition, quarantine edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. The only benefit to all this quarantining is I've had the opportunity to talk to so many amazing people, past, present, and future in the sport, and this is no exception. So tell me, who the fuck are you, and what do you do? (laughs) Thanks, Dean. My name is Kaz Shiki. I'm currently a Flight One instructor, so I teach canopy instruction for both military and civilian, and I've been doing that for the past 11 years. As you mentioned, I'm a former competitor in CP, so I started competing in 98, and I retired in 2012, both uh, nationally and internationally, and currently, I'm super excited about this, I'm a team member for a Highlight Pro Skydiving Team, which is an all-women's demo team with some of the most incredible women in our sport. And I have a photography business doing family newborn photography at home. And I'm a super proud mom of a seven-year-old boy currently homeschooling like millions of other men and women right now. It's uh, um, it's crazy because uh, um, uh, being in the sport for as long as as we have, you get to see this transition over all these years of people that have gone um, the entire gambit in skydiving, all the way up to moms and dads and leading these, you know, almost at the uh, the appearance of a normal life, but. <laughs> <laughs> we've definitely not lived the normal life all the way down the line. And it's so fucking cool to see of uh, the transition that people make and still hang on to the skydiving roots and, and keep going strong, which is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, yeah, I still so love skydiving. I started like in 93. So that's quite some time ago. Um, and still even knowing that I really wanted to be a mom, I just, I'm not giving up skydiving. It's still a huge passion for me, especially uh, all the canopy stuff. So I'm super excited to be so involved as I am right now. Which is awesome. But now, uh, before we get too deep into um, all the stuff that you managed to do, how did you get started in all of it? I always like to start out with finding out what drove people to want to do something stupid like jump out of an airplane in the first place. Oh, my God. Um, you know, I think if I'm thinking back to my beginning days of skydiving, I definitely always had that on my bucket list. And, you know, if I'm going back to my first jump, it was like Christmas Day. I was with my brothers. I have two older brothers. I have uh, five siblings all together. And they said, hey, do you want to go for a skydiving? And I'm like, sure. They're like, hey, do you want to do AFF or tandem? And I said, I'll do the tandem. And uh, they said, well, we're doing AFF. And I'm like, well. Can't let my older brothers do anything better than me. So I definitely <laughs> did the AFF as well. And we had a pretty big group that they had together. It was like him and his friends were 11 of us. So instead of going to a class at the drop zone, Sydney Skydivers I was at, they came to us. So here we are getting our first day of instruction, our first evening of instruction, and these two instructors show up. And one was Craig Field, and he shows up with a cane because he has a broken back. Oh, no. <laughs> he, had just, he had just injured him. He just broken his back doing a skydive for, uh, in, dressed in a Santa suit. Oh, so God. we're like, great. And then the other one's name was Animal because he talked like this. And uh, 
<laughs> he had some broken voice box and it was through a skydiving accident. And we're like, cool, are we in the movie Fandango at the moment? Like right. what the hell are we supposed to be, you know, what are we doing here? But anyway, um, I was super scared. I am not a person who was just, you know, automatically okay with thrill-seeking stuff. And I remember in, the fir- in my first jump, my brother was sitting in front of me, we were doing AFF. And I did not even know he was in front of me until I watched the video later. Like, that's how nervous I was doing a jump. But as soon as I landed, I thought, wow, you know, I just overcome such a big fear and it it was so amazing. And I guess what really dragged me into the sport was seeing people on the ground. There was this girl, uh, Roz Tompkins, who was the Australian national champion of freestyle at that time. Mm. And she was like around on the floor and she's wrestling with the friends. And you know us skydivers, man, we have a good time, right? We're on the ground, we're high-fiving, we're talking about how good our jumps are. And I thought, wow, look at this life. Right. Look at this life these people are living. Isn't it incredible? And it's that, like it was like a big it was like a huge secret, wasn't it? I mean, you, you got to like a glimpse behind the curtain and you're like, shit, nobody told me this stuff was okay. And I didn't think this was possible. I know. And these people are having such a good time and, and the jump was so cool. And I'm like, this I just knew at that moment that this was my new life. Nice. It was like so so amazing. I ended up um, for swooping. Obviously, I got into canopy piloting. Um, I ended up, so 93, I started jumping, and then 97, I just finished uh, doing my studies, so I thought I'd take a year off, go traveling, and I first came to the United States for a vacation. So Mm. I'm still here. It's 2020. It's been a long vacation. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I showed up at the ranch, skydived the ranch, and they had just been doing some amazing stuff with the ranch pond swooping nationals and they had the pond set up and they were doing a big event every year. I think it was their second year. And I just fell in love with it. I was like, wow, this is super fun. And and I just started swooping. And from then it was just an ex- extreme passion for me. Mm. Well, I mean, that's that's how you first came uh, to be known, at least in my circles. Uh, I got to know you because you were a top of the line competitor. And it was funny because the name Kaz is very unisex. You know, I, you have no idea if this is a guy or a girl. All I knew is that Kaz seemed to be at the top of the list every time and was kicking ass in this new badass competition that was canopy <laughs> piloting that was also stupid dangerous. Uh, and then, I, I mean, I hate to say it because it does sound sexist, but was shocked and impressed when I'm like, Kaz is a girl. That's awesome. It was so fucking cool because before then it was Heath Richardson and all the fo- all the fellas, and you didn't really think about it. And then all of a sudden you are just destroying people, which was amazing. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, it was just so super fun. And, and they really, you know, it's still a sport that there's not a lot of women in. Mm. And it's so great to see some women out there now. And oh my God, people, some of the women out there are just kicking some serious butt. I follow them. They're amazing. Um, Yeah, just incredible. They blow my mind. 
Well, you got, uh, you know, Cornelia Mihai up on the podium all the time, a good friend of mine named Olga Namova that's uh, trying uh, and basically is being mentored by Cornelia as well, pushing real hard. Jeannie Anderson, of course. You know, I mean, it's it's super impressive. And in every discussion that I've had with them, the coolest thing comes up in that it's they don't want any separation between men and women because this is a kind of a competition where it's not required. A woman absolutely can devastate the field, and it's such a wonderful thing to see see the sport acknowledging that there is zero need for any separation in that competition, which is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I think well, skydiving is like that, right? It's yeah. kind of, you know, a way that it doesn't matter if you're male or you're female, you can both compete together and compete really well together. And, uh, you know, I've definitely had my adversities that I've had to face, but for the most part, you know, people have been super respectful and they just, they see you as a competitor, not as the female competitor, sure. right? which is which is really awesome but you know back in the day sometimes you know I was the only one in a competition or one of two or or three or one of four so to see all these women come up is just and it's super heartwarming for me it's it's awesome I kind of wish they were there when I was competing Right. Well, and it's funny, too, because people would, uh, especially newer skydivers, would listen to you say that your first jump, you were terrified to go make that jump. And it's funny because that's a very similar story to mine as well. My second jump only happened because I was so proud that I was able to get myself to do it the first time. Um, (laughs) So I had an amazing time, but the biggest accomplishment in that first jump was I can't believe I was shitting my pants and I made myself do it and had fun, you know. I mean, I will, I will admit when I was in the door, I was thinking, fuck, I survived it. Why am I doing this again? That's you know? exactly what I thought. Like in the plane, I think for my whole life, I'm like, why the fuck am I here again? Right? <laughs> I know how scary it was. Well, and it but seems it's to be. Right? It's, it's getting to the door. Yeah, no, it is. Well, and it seems to be that there's almost only two schools of thought. It's either people like you and I that are like, why the fuck am I doing this? And then you remember as soon as you get out of the airplane and then those that are just balls to the wall without a second thought. Absolutely. You know, yeah, I, that was that, never going to be me. I was, oh yeah, I was not that person, but I'm so glad that I stick, stuck with it because I, you know, I can even imagine now, where what- on in life if I hadn't. <laughs> and what were you doing in life before that first jump? So I was I was going to school uh, for business and, and accounting, being the major. And I, so I had started doing that full-time, and then I went to do part-time school and started working for Greenpeace. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah. So, it, yeah, it was pretty exciting, actually. Started working for Greenpeace in Australia, so I was with them for a few years, and then basically when I finished my last exam, I was on a plane one week later to come to the United States for a year. (laughs) (laughs) So that was the end of that. That was the end of that. I mean, it's really helped me, and and I've done some work in accounting a little bit here and there, and I run my own business, so it's definitely helpful, but... I just feel like I, I needed to accomplish, I needed to finish something. Sure. So that's, you know, kind of why I did that. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I'm like, I have to go to school for something. Right, right. Yeah. Well, now, so you, you started jumping in Australia, but it sounds to me like you didn't really get your teeth into it until you hit the United States. Um, was it the jumping itself or was it the community of it all that really grabbed you? It's both. It's definitely both. I love jumping so much. Um, I love flying my parachute. I love flying my parachute with other people, whether it's flocking or 
um, you know, in competitions. And, I, you know, I love skydiving too. I love free flying and, and belly flying and camera flying, all of it. But it's definitely the people as well. It's a combination of the two that make it kind of like a perfect sport. And like you were saying, it's kind of like the best kept secret. Right. Um, if, you know, if people can get over their fear. But I think getting through the fear, you know, it gives you that bravery and it gives you that bravery in life to to do whatever you need to get done, right? So it, it's showing you that you can accomplish things. You just got to pretty much put your head down, have a little bit of fun and uh, get to it. Sure. Well, and you know, it's, it's uh, the getting over the fear portion of it, at least for someone that has the perspective that I do, that gives me respect for other jumpers, regardless of whether I like them or not. I have that respect because I just naturally assume everyone had to overcome the same mental barriers that I did to be able to continue on in the sport. And granted, that's not always the case, but it's almost the, um, you know, the band of brothers in a foxhole type of thing. Everybody's gone through the same thing to get where we are. And that just is a, a level of respect that I don't give the average person, but I do give the average jumper. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it's not that necessarily my fear always goes away too. Like I still have fear. Oh yeah. I think I, you know, it's just, you harness it in different ways. So, you know, if I'm thinking back to some of the competitions like world, world championships or world cups that I was in and being in the plane on that first load of the competition round, it's just like an amazing amount of like, fear and but a good fear right and excited right. fear and you kind of turn that into excitement and and the same thing I do a lot of uh, high profile demonstration jumps and we, we'll be doing a lot more of those soon too and then you've got the excitement of the unknown you've got the excitement of never jumping to that place before with thousands of people around right. or whatever it may be so there's definitely fear it's not that we don't feel the fear anymore either it's just we have found different ways to channel it. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If it weren't for the level of fear that I maintain or I should say is maintained in me in regard to skydiving and flying, uh, I'd stop doing both because that means that I'm probably being careless. I want that fear. Absolutely. Yeah, it serves you. And it actually feels pretty good, too, right? It's like a, an adrenaline oh, yeah. thing, too. So it's not boring. No. So I totally get what you mean. Now, when when you were coming up in the sport, um, especially in the States, it was the wild, wild west all over the US. I mean, you came up during the most insane party times and craziness. I mean, world free fall conventions that were just out of control and all these insane boogies. I mean, what was it like coming from Australia and then stumbling into, I, I don't even know what to call it. <laughs> oh my gosh. It, it, it's like you're just drunk looking at what's going on around you sometimes because <laughs> it's unbelievable on what you're seeing. And, and you were talking about the free the world free fall convention and, you know, I remember the first one I went to, it was like 5,000 people and I can't remember how many planes there were, but you're jumping out of jets and helicopters and people are riding around in their golf course. And I remember someone riding around their golf course, some girl had their, her shirt off and the guy next to her is like holding a boob going beep, beep, honk, honk, you know, <laughs> in the middle of the day. It's like yep. absolutely just crazy stuff going on. And, uh, 
but yeah, definitely some really good times. I don't remember it all, but right. <laughs> right. I'm sure we, we all have our, our moments, but it would be fun to actually write it all down. And uh, I'll tell you what, stuff. I'm sure you feel the same way as I do. I am so thankful that there was no such thing as social media when I was going through the big party days. Oh, yes. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. These- these poor fucking kids that are that are doing this now, even though the parties don't seem to be as epic and the the, the um, boogies aren't quite as crazy as I think I remember them, they're documenting every single bit of it, and it's on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter all over the place. Fuck me. I mean, at least I can deny things. Yeah, I, I do feel privileged that I went through that time without the social media as well. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But it can definitely be disadvantaged because it took a while to, to to try and get on the social media, you know, yeah. as well. It's like, oh, we were so good without it for so long. So it definitely um, has advantages and disadvantages. But, yeah, we had some – definitely had some fun that I'm glad was not filmed back at that time. Right. And, uh, yeah, we had some great competitions that we'd go to too, like the pro swooping tours that we were – at were more focused on freestyle back then mm. and also like speed distance and accuracy as well but there was a lot more free around and it's cool to see in the sport of cp is getting back more into that freestyle round because it, it felt like it went for a, a quite a few amount of years where it was just pretty much speed distance and accuracy sure. so cool to cool to see all this uh fun freestyle moves coming coming back out but i'm thinking i'm thinking back at the ranch uh ponds flipping i think it was jeffro uh did a double blind man for the first time which is you know going across the water putting your foot in the water turning around once completely turning around another time completely and then continuous swooping contacting the water and coming out and landing right so there was some uh you know, pretty cool stuff going on. And that was like 2001, 2002. Sure. Well, and that's when, I mean, the the base for what is now modern canopy piloting all was getting set down because you guys were, I mean, you were making it up as you were going along. I mean, for Christ's sakes, the was the velocity even out when you started flying your canopy? I I don't, it wasn't out when I was in Australia for sure, but I, I remember the first, uh, swoop competition i think i went in was like 98 in at the ranch pond swooping comp and i had a stiletto i think it was my 120 or 107 and i competed on a stiletto 107 for like two or three years because i thought oh i'm not ready or maybe two years i'm like oh i'm not ready for a velocity yet and they just started coming out and uh and then i realized hey i was ready i remember one time i was in paris and we were doing a PST really early years and I do a turn and I was only doing a uh was it 270 degree turn at the time so I would turn low like at 500 400 feet and you can hear on the announcement I think it was Lyle Press he's like oh my god someone's coming in low someone's coming in low oh don't worry it's just a stiletto right Well, I mean, isn't that the craziest part, though? I mean, I remember when Stiletto came out and, you know, they had the what I still to this day think was the most amazing marketing scheme ever, which is the whole you have to have 500 jumps and prove it before you can even buy one of these, which, of course, made everybody want one. Uh, but, you know, what we thought was normal and super crazy. And now if I go back and watch a Stiletto land now, it's fucking terrifying. 
Because it has to be a little lower if they're trying to. Yes, because yeah. I'm so used to seeing a Velocity or a Petra setup or something like that. And now all of a sudden you're back down in the dirt before you're starting your turn and it scares the shit out of me. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I still have my Stiletto 107 in my closet because I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... that's uh... a great canopy. It really is a great canopy. You know, I'll tell you what. I flew a Stiletto forever, and I, I think I did most of my downsizing on a Stiletto from a 135 to a 120 and, and uh, before I set foot anywhere near a velocity uh, because they scared the shit out of me. But I was super, super slow on my progression with canopies because I I learned early on no one was ever going to be impressed with my swooping, (laughs) (laughs) which was a damn good thing to learn. It kept me really safe over the years. So now when did you know, when, when was it that you're like, fuck, I got to compete in this. This is just too cool. It was definitely, you know, because I landed and went straight to the skydive the ranch, and that at the time was where they would have the ranch pond swooping nationals, which wasn't like the nationals. They just called it Mm. the nationals. And there would be 60, 70 competitors going to that, and it was just so much fun. And being on there, there was like Drew Lipinski was there, Sonic was there. A lot of the OGs um, in swooping were, were coming to the ranch, so, I mean, I started doing tandem videos there and uh, I I would just set swoop things up in the landing area and just start practicing on every single video I would do. And then weekdays when we were pretty light for work, I would just go swoop the pond all week because I just, I don't know, I just fell in love with it. I love canopy flying. Did you get any pushback when you first decided you wanted to compete? Was anybody saying, hey, don't do that, it's dangerous? Uh, A little... A little bit, um, but I think I, I'm a sort of person that takes things step at a time. Mm. So I don't just go from doing 90s to 270s, you know. So I'd go in there and I would just like work it up little piece by piece. So I felt like I was doing it in the most safe way that I could without injuring myself. Sure. Um, I I definitely had some, you know, in the early days when there wasn't a lot of women doing it, I definitely had some reactions. Uh, I'll tell you one story. I think it's pretty funny. Um, it was from a, a skydiver who is a prominent skydiver, so I'm not going to mention who it was. <laughs> but we were, we were at a party one night, and he and I think I was competing in PST at the time, and I just started to really pick up and, and get interested in the sport and start to really, really enjoy it. Mm. So I'm at this party and he we're talking over a glass of wine and he's like, Kaz, so, you know, why are you swooping? Why are you going in these competitions? So I'm like, well, I really like it and it's a really <laughs> fun thing to do and I think I'm doing okay at it. He goes, but, you know, you look cute and all, but you know you're never going to win, right? He goes, you're swooping in a man's sport and this is something that, you can't really compete in because you're not going to win against the boys. And, and I kind of was shocked. <laughs> right. And I was, you know, as a gape and I was like, what is he talking about? And I kind of was laughing in disbelief, but he was serious, but he was trying to make it jokey. Right. So he's like, I bet you $1 million that, you know, you can't beat the boys and dirt, dirt, dirt. It's like, I'm so confident. And, uh, I said, well, one thing, you don't have a million dollars to bet me. <laughs> so it's, right. kind of a, it's kind of an empty bet. And 
that to me was kind of like the most shocking experience I'd had come up against, and especially because he was a prominent skydiver, you know, right. more of all time skydiver. But anyway, I think it probably also gave me a little drive to sort of like say, no, fuck you. Who do you think you're talking to? Like this is such a gender equal sport, you know, oh, yeah. skydiving and CP. So uh, I think anyway, the next year I came second in the overall for PST for the whole year. <laughs> and, uh, awesome. I think I got a gold in Australia for distance or speed or one of those things. But uh, but anyway, it you know, for most of the part though, most mostly everyone is super respectful and awesome, which but is awesome. Definitely, definitely came up against some people early in the sport where they just. You know, they just didn't see it because there hadn't been that many women competing at that time. Sure. Well, and, and do you think part of that is is the, the, I mean, I hate to say it, but the early stereotype of the sport and being a, a jump pilot and having started, you know, in the in the late 90s, I'm the same way. Um, it was standard for boobs to get flashed for extra altitude and all of this stuff that definitely made it feel like a dude's sport. Yeah, there, yeah, there was definitely that going on, and you know, some guys would have the liberty to think that they are okay to slap a woman's ass, right? right. Which was just, you know, I, uh, I almost punched someone for that one time, but hey, you I, I, let know, I let them know it wasn't okay for sure. But, uh, but yes, thank God it's changed, right? From from that, but it was definitely like you were saying, it was it was a little bit duty, but for most of the part, everyone was so super cool. Like, I mean. I competed with men for a long time. I was in a team with men for a long time. I have a husband and a son, so I love men, right? I love women. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> right. But you do get your douchebags for sure. Well, you know, I think the 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 way that the sport flip-flopped it, at least in the way that I watched it, wasn't even so much that uh, men back down with just being the pigs that we can be. It's that women upped their game and decided to be exactly the same way. Because <laughs> the running joke that I've had with some of my female friends is that if there's sexual harassment going on in the drop zone, it's a 50-50 toss-up whether or not it's going to be a man or a woman doing it. I don't think that's exactly true, but at least it's humorous that it's, it's uh, again, become very an integrated thing and it's not a, a again just feeling like this guy sport yeah absolutely yeah it's it's been really cool seeing the sport from 93 until it evolving to 2020 for sure like you right you've been in it for a long time so you have got to see such a, a great evolution from both behavioral standpoints to like you're saying having video cameras around to social media to the level of competitions there are is incredible right now Sure. Well, and it's even cool to um, view it from the perspective of how much I've changed throughout the sport as well. And everybody that I know that's been in any length of time has done a fair amount of changing along with the sport, which is evolving, you know, every day, which is fantastic. Absolutely. All right. That's the, that's the whole point in life. Keep on getting better, hopefully. Yeah, Maybe hopefully. So now we were talking before the podcast, uh, um, the first time I ever got to actually watch you work, I was chucking drogues for the boogie that was in Wildwood, New Jersey at the time, and you were swooping on the PST tour, which back then it was also a really cool thing too. That was a super unique competition at the time, wasn't it? Because I mean, they're trenching this uh, the swoop pond out in the middle of a public beach and we're departing off a baseball field in helicopters, which was pretty damn cool. Oh my gosh! Yeah, the Wildwood days were definitely wild for sure, right? right. Okay, but we had some great competitions. I think I did three competitions there, and 
Yeah, as you said, they would, uh, Wildwood Beach is a super, super wide beach for those who don't know, don't know it all. And it's just really, really crowded. So they have a boardwalk. So they have the ability to have 10,000 people around you viewing this competition. And, you know, out there was, uh, what do you call the, the docks coming out from the boardwalk with yep. fun fairs and, and uh, roller coasters and all that sort of thing. So it's just, it's just a huge ground for spectators, which is a great place to have a competition. So they would dig out a massive pond for us and, you know, put fresh water in it from the fire brigade, which, you know, brought a lot of the birds and the seagulls because they thought, oh, wow, look, this is delicious, right? I get to play in all this fresh water. Um, uh, which which brings me to, like, it was a crazy competition. We, I, I have never hit a bird in my life <laughs> when I was tripping, but because there were so many seagulls coming in for this fresh water, that one competition that we were at together was I, I actually had – three bird strikes it was horrifying because i like to fly so i love my bird animals right, right, <laughs> right. and uh i hit one in my lines and it was fine it flew off and then i, I was a bit spooked and shocked by it and then the next load again <laughs> on my on my thigh and i'm like what the hell guys can you swoop you like scare these things away All right and then it was the next load so i had three in a row where i hit one on my chest and i'm like this is the last round, thank God. I don't right. want to jump in anymore. Well, I remember, I remember being on a download during that competition. I don't know if it was you or one of the other competitors because it happened quite a few times, but watching someone dirt, water, dirt, drag a bird through the entire course and then flop it down on the other end of the swoop pond and then it stands up and flies away. So it was yeah. insane. Thank goodness that it flies away, right? right. So, yeah, I uh, – yeah, I think that was that same competition is that the night before we started the comp, the, the comp we did a sunset load just as a spectator thing. Mm. And uh, I we went downwind. You know, I used to love going super fast and downwind. And because they had made this fresh pond, everything on the sand was super, super soggy. Mm. So I just screamed downwind. I don't even know what speed I would have been going, but just basically took the whole pond and then coming out caught a knee and Oof. I uh, hyperextended my knee. And, uh, you know, you're just smiling because thousands of people are watching and you're trying to pretend <laughs> it's right. okay. Wave as you're crying inside. And anyway, I was in so much pain. I, I did not think that I could go on the next day to the competition. Like it was so bad. I had to have it elevated, iced all the time. And uh, so the next day we woke up and it was beautiful blue skies and uh, there was this – there was this uh, police chase through Wildwood <laughs> and it was this guy that had came from like two or three hours north and he robbed some gas station or something and then they chased him and he got out in Wildwood and he was on top of someone's roof shooting at people. So we were on a sniper hold that whole day. <laughs> we couldn't jump in because no airplanes were allowed in the air. And I've been on so many holds, but I've never been on a sniper. Oh, yeah. Hold. Oh, well, you had reminded me of, of that before the podcast. And, and it just jumped back into my head. And it's the same thing. It's the weirdest fucking hold ever to go on. Why aren't you jumping? Um, Some guy's trying to murder people. <laughs> yes, he Just, was on top of it. Yeah. So it was a sniper. It was a sniper hole, which was really, really crazy. 
So we didn't get to jump that day, but we got to jump the next day. And I think that's when I had the bird strike. So oh. I was like, well, oh, you're kind of a crazy competition. Yeah, that a sniper gave your knee time to heal more. That's pretty strange. I know. I, know. I mean, I, I really <laughs> those were anybody that's listened to the podcast knows that I've talked a lot uh, with people from the cross keys days back then. And cross keys, of course, back then was famous for these insane parties and just bizarre shit happening all the time. And it all got transferred down to those, you know, the week or two that we were in Wildwood every year was almost intensified craziness, all capped off by, you know, snipers and, and again, helicopters taken off out of baseball fields and stuff was such a cool event it's so yeah it was so fun when you think like we would just walk down the road to the park which is you know a couple of blocks away and then the helicopter would come it would pick us up and we'd just fly right over the town of wildwood like which is the border area we're hanging out of the airplane waving to people go up jump out i mean some of the most fun times for sure they were definitely definitely some great fun competitions Well, and hell, all I was doing uh, while you guys were competing was doing tandems because you guys would be in between uh, rounds and and we'd be chucking drogues over the same spot. But it's the same thing. You're going up with tandems and waving at people and you feel like a rock star coming in to to land a tandem, you know, (laughs) where you're just trying to swoop a tandem on the corner of the pond was just the coolest thing ever. Yeah, and it was so pretty too, right? Such a great place to jump. Yeah, it's pretty tough to beat. Now, um, yeah. So you, you said at the beginning you, you uh, competed for quite some time and did quite well. What was the, what were your top honors when you were actively competing? I I we, I competed for Australia, so I would go back to the Australian nationals every year, and I got like several golds and silvers and bronzes in both uh, speed, distance, and accuracy. So I was pretty proud of those medals for Mm. sure. I came second in the overall pro swooping tour, and I'm not remembering exactly what year that was. Um, I did third in Wildwood that year, and I'm not – I haven't got them written down. I'm really bad. Sorry, I should should have uh, made a note of those. (laughs) No, no. Definitely definitely the Australian – Australian ones were some good ones. I did compete in a decent amount of world meets and world cups. Unfortunately, I didn't place in any of those, but I definitely had a damn good time mm. going and competing. Um, I can, yeah, I can so, imagine. Well, I mean, you were very well competed individual. I mean, your your name was always out there, um, so it was obviously had to have been a huge point of pride, especially being able to compete for your home country of Australia. Which, I, I mean, now Australia it's quite big in skydiving. How was it though when you were starting? Was it just getting started, or was it already pretty kicking scene out there? It's it was definitely an already kicking scene, um, but we have such a smaller population than mm. the United States, so obviously it's always going to be a lot smaller. Um, but we have a lot of really really good pilots out there, and a lot of good canopy pilots out there. So competing in the nationals wasn't just like a local meet in the United States. Like there was the, people trained really really hard over there as well. Uh, I'd also competed in the U.S. Nationals, but because I was Australian citizen and competing for Australia, I couldn't medal. But I did come third in the U.S. Nationals one year wow. as well. 
Wow. I mean, that's just it's fucking amazing. It really is. Especially when you consider the talent that was going on then and everybody was pushing so hard because it was so new and so cutting edge. Yeah, it's it's super fun. And I loved it. You know, I, I did retire in 2012. Um, I decided that I wanted to have a child. So, you know, that was became an important thing for me. But I, I was in the Australian team to go to Dubai for 2012. And I'm like, you know, what? let's just try and have a baby. And it happened for us. So I got super lucky there. So awesome. So that, now that did my last competition. And now you went from from Kaz the swooper to Kaz the mom. How does Kaz the mom view skydiving? I know you said you, you still love skydiving. You're still competing. You've got a team going on. Uh, and you said you have a son. I do. So yes. what happens when he decides he wants to go hang out with mom and start uh, jumping out of airplanes? Uh, I think that would be okay, right? So we he uh, he's not that super interested in it, though. We've taken him to the tunnel a few times. He had his sixth birthday in the tunnel. He thought that it was awesome. And I said, well, what was the greatest thing about it? And he said, the cupcakes. And I'm like, okay, so <laughs> maybe I won't spend as much money on your birthday. Right if it's just the cupcakes but you know he loves going to the drop zone that's awesome. he, my husband's also a jumper so he'll you know i'll teach a lot of flight one courses for civilians on the weekends here in the summer up in the northeast and all over the country actually and he'll come with us to a lot of the drop zones and my son just like he he thanks us for taking him to the drop zone for the weekend awesome. like, so it's really really we're lucky we're, we kind of hope it stays that way have you got him as a as a packer for you yet or you're keeping him away from that you know what i think i should train him up this year yeah, yes you should <laughs> maybe it would be a good idea for sure why not yeah when, when he was little we did some you know fun little things like we'd make him our packing weight or, of course you know, have him pretend to flake out a canopy, but no, I haven't trusted him to pack for me yet. <laughs> All right, yeah, that I don't, uh, I don't blame you for. Now you're saying you you jump for flight one uh, doing civilian, but you do military stuff as well. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I have been working with flight one now. I think for eleven years, and wow. I was actually coaching. I was actually coaching a little before that. Uh, with my team Slipstream, who I was with, and I was also with Team Fast Tracks before that for swooping. So, but 11 years with them, and that was my first military experience. I do about one course a month with them, and we, it's, it's pretty awesome. It's usually a three to five day course, and we work with like different special operations and rescue units for both the United States and their allies. Wow. Uh, so it's pretty awesome and basically anyone that might need to use a parachute to go somewhere mm. I feel I feel super super privileged to be able to work for those people and to be able to help them attain their goals and and I feel really honored to because I have so much respect for what they do and how they help us out. So it's, it's a real honor to work for them for sure. Well, and it's, uh, uh, I mean, not to discount civilian students, but uh, every military man that I had as an AFF student was fucking wonderful because you tell them to do something and they do it. It's, they don't have to understand it. They don't have to understand why, but they'll do it and it works. And then they do the next thing and the next thing. And it's phenomenal. It, right. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe that's why I like it so much. It's fucking amazing. He says, all right, you're going to do this. Yes, ma'am. And they fucking do it. It's fantastic. And I, I, I've taught the the random AFF student that was a military guy that came out on his own to learn to jump. The only time I've seen an operation that was uh, military-based was flying briefly for Buzz Fink and Tac Air out in San Diego and watching the Navy SEALs doing their first jump stuff. And that was insane because I'm watching them throw a Navy SEAL out of an airplane with like five or six jumps at night over mountainous terrain with a burning garbage can as their only target. <laughs> it's pretty crazy what they do. Right? It's pretty crazy. If they definitely don't go the same route as the uh, civilians. No. Well, because I remember when they were doing that jump, and at the time I probably had 8,000 jumps, and, and my first thought was with 8,000 jumps, there's no fucking way you'd get me to jump out of this airplane right now. <laughs> I know, right? They, they, but they have to do it. So if they, yeah. they fuck up and they do it. But what you know, bringing back to what you said, they, they absolutely listen, and it's kind of cool. Like if I'm standing up and I'm giving instruction to twenty guys, their eyes are completely on you, mm. right? No phones out. There's no one checking Twitter or Facebook or looking away, looking out the window or anything. They're completely eyes on because they know that the stuff they're learning now is so important. Sure. And their teammates rely on each other, you know, in on, on themselves to and sorry, on each other to do your job. So you can't let your teammates down. Right. You can't let you can't let them down. So they're they're very, very good learners for sure. And a lot of our military work, we will be flying with them the whole time. So sure. We do a lot of air-to-air stuff, so they get some really, really good instruction. Are you guys but, doing? Uh, um, are you doing air-to-air uh, audio? So you're talking to them. Yep. Awesome. Fucking technology. Yep. I know it's so cool, yeah, right? It's amazing. Uh, yeah, we've been doing the air-to-air stuff for gosh, as long as I've been with them. So it's like ten, eleven years, nice. and it makes a difference. It's just like it's a wind tunnel for. Uh, for a canopy flight, sure. right? You're basically in there and you're getting live instruction and uh, you, we usually do, you know, five-day courses or, or more with them. Depends on the group we're working with. But, I, sure. you know, I love working with the military, but I also love working with the civilians too because, you know, when you see someone struggling with something and you're able to help them and facilitate them in getting to what they're struggling with to figuring it out, and all of a sudden becoming confident and loving flying under their parachute, whether it be they have 20 jumps or whether, you know, I teach some people with 8,000 jumps, right? Sure. And, you know, just whatever their thing is that they need to get, I, I love trying to discover what that is and helping them get through their obstacles. And to me, I don't know, I really love my job with Flight One. It's a great company to work with. They're super awesome owners, super awesome instructors, and they're always just trying to be the best. Like we just had our forum in February in Deland and it's like 40 instructors come together and we go through this every year and we'll go through a week of how can we be better teachers? What can What's changed in the sport? How can we help facilitate teaching better? So it's not like you learn to be an instructor 10 years ago and that's all you get. You get like retraining all the way through and we get to share with each other and um, we actually got to do a formation 40-way canopy flock together with Whoa. all of these oh, wow. so that was, uh, that was pretty sweet just coming out of the plane like you know three seconds between canopies when we're all on balconies and and uh doing a, a big massive cross in the air with 40 of us together that had it to be cool, cool as hell 
Absolutely. Now, I've always found and I always really enjoyed the instructor side of things because it's not just a matter of just trying to teach someone facts and figures and stuff like that. You almost have to have your own, you know, uh, psychology degree to figure out how each student learns, uh, which was always one of the funnest things for me was to find out how to turn that light bulb on for different students because different people learn different ways. And uh, it's uh, it's especially for you doing the type of courses that you do, I guess you must enjoy that kind of challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Because no one learns the same, right? You know, some people, whether they learn by doing or hearing or seeing or whatever it may be, it's just like trying to hone into how they learn and try and give them what they need to. to. So it is like what you're saying. It's definitely a lot of psychology oh, yeah. involved. In, and, and I didn't go to school to be a teacher right I went to school for accounting but through flight one we do a lot of work on how to teach sure and you know we share a lot of information between each other so while having a group of you know what 40 instructors we share information with each other so I feel like when you're doing a flight one course with me you're not just getting information from Kaz who's been skydiving since 93 you're getting information from all these really cool pilots because we come together and share our information. So sure, which is critical. What, yeah, that, that's what's a pretty pretty cool thing about uh, working for Flight One, and they're just awesome, awesome bunch of people to work for for sure. Oh no doubt. Now, how did Flight One originally get started? I don't really know the history of Flight One that well. Yeah, so the PD factory team um, had been, you know, obviously competing for a long time, and they had been also teaching civilians like like I was doing when I was with Slipstream and Fast Track. We'd also do weekend courses. And then they thought they'd just get together and start a canopy school. Hmm. So I think it was, I think they might be in their 12th or 13th year. Don't quote me on that. But they just started evolving and they got a manager to work with them straight away and help them get to, to put a, you know, a good business plan in place. And then they got involved with some military groups somehow and I'm not one of the owners so I can't tell you all of that information sure. I don't have it but uh it just kind of evolved and they had a dream and they went for their dream and and now they've got a pretty cool company well and it's so critical uh, especially in the sport nowadays I mean when I started I I learned to jump on a PD 210 you know and I mean my idea of a huge downside didn't go to go to a PD 190 and I was I was cutting edge in my own mind because holy shit you know <laughs> When I got to a 170, I was just insane, you know, so the, the, um, the potential to fuck yourself up was dramatically smaller than it is nowadays when people have access to canopies that are just insane. You know, I mean, what you guys are flying on a regular basis and what you're very comfortable with is leaps and bounds over and above what I'm comfortable with. You know, I fly a Velo 96, which I used to think was insane, but being on a, one of these itty bitty Valkyries and stuff like that, if you don't have training, it's not if, it's when you're going to get hurt. Absolutely. And th that's the, the whole point, right? It's like when we were starting and you were talking about, hey, we're in the heyday and it was kind of crazy. And it was crazy because we didn't have a lot of people right. to tell us how to do things. We're just like, oh, oh, okay, he smacked into the pond really hard. What did he do wrong? <laughs> so now we've figured it out and we've been able to put it down and make you know, like good curriculums with it or being able to communicate those messages across. And now wherever you are, wherever you started skydiving, 
there's good canopy instructors around yeah. to help you make the mistakes that we made as we were going through ourselves and you, right? When we're just like, hey, what do we do with this 210? What do we do with this 190? We just like start pulling on the strings until we land. Yep. And uh, and now we have so much good coaching available. So, you know, if you're just starting skydiving and you're getting out of AFF, and I know everyone will say this, is get coaching. Oh, Don't yeah. learn the hard way. I mean, it's still going to be hard because you're going to have to put effort into it. But get the information that other people have already figured this stuff out and they can help teach you in a, in a good manner and give you step-by-step process to get there. And, and definitely, uh, I mean, most people do get canopy instruction straight away. It's part of the B license course now. You have to in the United sure. States. So, but I just can't stress, you know, how important it is in your safety and also in your progression in the sport. Sure. Well, and to not just do the minimum required to get that B license. I mean, I wish that that had been available when I was learning because my canopy progression was intentionally very, very slow. Uh, The only reason that I started downsizing at all was because I was shooting video really early in my career and was having trouble beating the fucking tandems to the ground. Uh, (laughs) You know, I mean, I'm shooting tandem videos on a PD-190. You know, you can't do that, you know, and even a 170, you're struggling to, you know, to get your canopy on the ground and get your camera aimed at the tandem before they land. So it was more out of necessity, but I took it extremely slow and had the courses been available that are around now back then, oh, it would have made night and day difference. Absolutely. And, you know, I I took it a little faster and I probably took it a little too fast, Um, but but not really, you know, I did get a lot of information on the way, but having that information available to, to me then would have been super helpful. Like I got put on a small canopy pretty much straight out of AFF because I was told by the wrong person, you know, <laughs> on the job because, hey, you're a girl, right? You can have a smaller canopy and they wanted to sell their canopy, so they wanted sure. to make them more. And, and here I was on a blue track, which was a fairly high-performance canopy for its time, and uh, they put me on a 150 blue track, and I had that at like 35 jumps. And and people are saying, "What are you doing jumping on that?" And I'm like, "Oh, I got it really cheap." And <laughs> right, right. yeah. But, but it was not the right canopy for me, and you know, I ended up dislocating my knee on it because it was just too small for my ability at the time. And and uh, you know, and that that brings me back to if you're getting coaching or whatever, if you're looking at what type of canopy you want to buy and what size canopy you want to buy. You definitely want to get some information off someone who really knows what they're talking about. Oh, sure. Luckily, um, there's a lot more information out there now, but, you know, women were falsely told for a long time is to get canopy sized by your wing loading. Mm. And people are coming out of AFF and they're, they might be like 90 or you know, whatever, 100, 120 pounds. So super light, and they were like, oh, you don't want to be on a 190 because you'll be going backwards or a 210, and people are advising 150s and 135s, which is absolutely the wrong thing to do because, mm. yes, they may be able to fly those and land those in a normal situation, but given any heightened uh, time of stress or if you have to land out or whatever it may be that you just don't have the experience to to fly that parachute. So you know, get on something a bit bigger and more forgiving until you can do everything that you can do that canopy oh, and yeah. know that 
you can put it in a small, tiny sp- place and be comfortable putting it in a small place and, and just get some jump numbers under your belt. And that might mean for sometimes with lighter jumpers that their wind limits are now going to be a little bit lower. Sure. Right? So maybe they, you know, don't jump in the 15 mile an hour winds because they might be going backwards so maybe they just jump in lighter wind days and that's just kind of something you have to deal with but that was definitely one of the the things that kind of caught me out too so sure well i you know and i had a relatively similar story to yours early on as well um i had gotten out of aff and was jumping you know all the the uh, rental canopies at the drop zone that i was at and traveled to paris valley with a group of the instructors and and experienced jumpers and when i went to rent gear one of them decided to be really nice and loan me his spare rig well, I had 27 jumps at the time, so I didn't know enough to know. This is an instructor handing me a, a rig, which turned out, <laughs> right? So you're going to believe it, you know, and it turned out to be a Turbo Z165, uh, which was one of those hybrid F111 ZP canopies that I had only flown a 210 up to then. Now I'm on a 165 that when this thing opened up with the brake still stowed, I'm going twice as fast as I've ever gone. Uh, and I ended up taking it down to land and panic flared and then did what every student would do at that uh, time. When I flared 30 feet off the ground, I let up on the toggles, drilled myself into the ground and sat there with a broken leg going, OK, it's uh, this is a bit more important than I, <laughs> oh my God. you know, that I thought. So um, it was a really uh, in, in a way, I'm very glad that it happened because I learned that lesson very early on. Oh, this is no fucking joke. You know, and, and uh, uh, it's very, very easy to go on a canopy that somebody told me is docile and get the shit scared out of me, uh, you know, and break something. So uh, I'm actually very grateful to that broken leg back then because it saved me from pushing harder than I would have otherwise. Uh, and it was a, a good learning experience that way. But I do not recommend anyone go out and break their leg to learn they're on a too fast <laughs> a canopy. <laughs> that's, that's not the way you want to do it. It really isn't. Learn from my words, right? right. Not from my actions, but but it, th- those things really get imprinted in your mind when oh, it yeah. happens to you. But you also don't want it to happen to other people that no. way. Like we can we can learn different ways. I had a so I had a canopy wrap at forty six jumps, Ooh. and that was my first uh, you know big cutaway incident. And you know, the same thing. It's like I learned a lot from that jump and I was jumping with my girlfriend who we ended up doing our first 500 jumps together. We did a two-way and we obviously didn't track very far. <laughs> <laughs> and next thing you know, like we're open and we're coming straight for each other. And I, and I, she went for her toggles, you know, instead of going for rear risers, which now if you're, you know, having a head-on collision and you're coming straight for each other, we've got to, you know, grab our rear risers and turn away, you know, it, right, if we're coming straight towards each other. Right. So if, but at that time, you know, we're so new, 46 jumps, she had 43 jumps, and she ended up, like, lucky she was just slightly higher than me, and the canopy just smacked her right in the center of my nose cells, right in the center of my nose, smacked her and went around her thighs, and she caught on the canopy for a while, thought we were going to be stuck. Right. But she kind of pendulumed and it broke out of the parachute, and there was a big t- uh, gap gaping hole in my parachute it was lucky it was that 150 that I really didn't need (laughs) (laughs) and so it came out of that and I had this hole in my canopy and I looked up 
and I was spinning and I could see a hole in the canopy and I was like, okay, that's not good. I'm going to cut away. So I just cut away ever so calmly, right? I was like super calm. Everything slowed down. Time just like right. cut away. I pulled my reserve. I looked up and I thought, oh, it's white. And then, because I didn't know what color it was. And then I looked around to my friend, Carrie, and I thought, oh, good. She's fine. And then everything was so cool and everything was so calm. It was like it took, you know, 10 minutes for this to happen, but it happened instantaneously. Sure. And I dealt with it really, really fast. And I just it gave myself so much confidence that I can deal with an emergency situation. But then the whole way down to the ground, I'm like, what the fuck right. just happened? Right. <laughs> like what and I you know was using the f word the whole way down and I ended up landing right near my free bag and everything was fine my friend was black and blue on her thighs for like a whole week she could hardly walk like it was such a bad impact and we were so lucky that we didn't get body to body impact because usually it's a fatality if you got body to body straight on like whatever you do is always avoid body to body contact if you know the listeners are out there thinking about how scary a rat would be much rather be in someone's lines or not you know their parachute than a body to body so whatever you do avoid body to body but um getting out of that was hey i had a young i had not many jumps but it taught me that i can deal with an emergency situation really really well and that gave me so much confidence it's you know it's really funny my first chop was at 27 jumps um and it was not nearly as relaxing and comfortable as yours. In other words, I was shitting my pants. I wasn't as calm as you because <laughs> when I when I cut away, it was a very low speed malfunction. And of course, in hindsight, I look back and I I laugh at myself every time. Um, but I was holy shit! I can't believe I've got to do this. And pulled the handle and and pulled both handles and dipped very head low as I went subterminal to catch back up and and deploy the reserve. Shit my pants and land. But I'm landing shaking. And I'm almost um, I'm almost upset with myself at the time. And a, 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 a fun jumper slash instructor comes up to me and kind of giggles. He's like, your first one, obviously, because I was shaking. And I'm like, yeah, it was my first one. And he smiled and he said, I've got 2,500 jumps and I've still not had to do that. You know something in this sport even I don't know. Uh, how funny is it that that's those milestones that realizing I can do what I was trained to do. I'm going to pull those handles. I'm not going to freeze up. That's a huge weight off your shoulders. So it's, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, I was extremely thankful I had to cut away that early in the sport because from then on, I walked around with the confidence to know I could pull those handles. Absolutely. Right there with you. Yeah, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. You know, I mean, knowing you can handle those stressful situations, even if you're shit in your pants, you can still do what you need to do. It's a big deal. Now, to to jump forward, uh, you said at the beginning that you are on and moving forward with another um, really cool thing, which is another team. Yes. So, so tell me what's up. We are – it's a fairly newly formed team, and it's called Highlight Pro Skydiving Team. We are a bunch of women. So it's all women team, and we are a demonstration team. And our core mission is to inspire women and girls to live a bold, brave life of their own design. Awesome. So, isn't it awesome? So That's not awesome. only not only this is my total dream come true, that 
I'm finally in a women in a team with all women because you know I I mean I love men I love women but to be in a team with all women is super empowering and some of the women we have on our team are amazing like our team captains are well known skydivers in the sport Amy Chamalecki um, she's also organizing the hundred way women's world record she's co-organizing that with Sarah Curtis awesome. And the other team captain is Melanie Curtis, who I think if you're anyone in skydiving, you know who Melanie Curtis is, right? She's like now an author of three books. She's a speaker, entrepreneur. She's got 11,000 jumps, life coach. She's just a, an incredibly amazing human being. The most upbeat and, human being walking the planet. Oh, my God. She is so great. She, <laughs> right? Yeah, she, she's super amazing. And uh, if you don't follow her, definitely jump on and, and see who Melanie Curtis is. And she's got a some cool podcasts out there as well. And then our other team members, uh, Sarah Curtis, uh, Carrie Bell, who used to be Carrie Farrington. So she was one of the OGs in swooping too. Mm. So she would come out to ranch pond swooping competitions and she owns the drop zone up in Kapowson. She's a big free flyer as well. She's got three kids. She, uh, she's just so amazing in her accomplishments in the sport. Mm. Um, Alison Ray, who, she's a test jumper for PD. She's also another uh, canopy piling swo- uh, woman swooper upcoming, and she's doing amazing in the sport. Um, Melissa Nelson, mm. Melissa Lowe now, she's one of our team members, Hannah Betts. I think Hannah Betts was on your podcast, yeah, right? Yeah, I just had her on uh, maybe a couple months back. It was awesome. Yeah, and uh, Hannah Albright, Maxine Tate, which she works with me at Flight One, mm-hmm. and uh, Karen Dalton, Karen Lou, Lewis. She used to be Lewis, but I think she's Dalton now, and she has four kids. Jesus amazing, right? And she just graduated uh, nursing, but she's got, I don't know how many jumps, like 10,000 or something, and then myself. So we have like a really, really super strong team. And uh, it, it, seriously, I'm, I'm just so thrilled to be able to use our passion, which is skydiving, to bring focus to uh, messages that matter. So we, we originally were inspired, this team was inspired by the women's suffrage movement around the world. Mm. And our initial goal with this team was to celebrate the 100-year centennial um, of the 19th Amendment this year, which is August 19th. And... Uh, so sharing that history and the true bravery and the grit that it took those women back then to secure the right to vote. Mm. So, that's, you know, where our message is coming from and that's, you know, what we're going to be out there sharing. And, I mean, I never really looked into it too much, to be honest, until I got on this team. Like I knew what the 19th Amendment was. And for those who aren't sure, it's, it's the right of citizens of the United States to vote the vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Mm. So it's basically giving women the right to vote. Yep. And that that's coming up on the 100-year anniversary. But it took like over 70 years hmm. of pure grit and fight sure. for that to happen. And some of the stories involved in that and the women, they're just so impressive to me. Like I look at those women and like, these women fought so hard for, you know, what we all should have had sure. for the longest time, sure. right? There should never have been that division. Um, but I'm just so thankful for, for all the work they do. And then what, you know, everyone that does 
the kind of work to help move the world forward. I'm just really proud of, of anyone to doing that. So anyway, that's what our team has evolved in and it's our colours are gold, white and purple and they're the colours of the suffragists back then. <laughs> awesome. So, so it's super exciting to be in that team and, you know, we're going to be jumping into a lot of demos and events and showing up as powerful, positive women leaders in both the skydiving sport and showing the greater population to maybe inspire other women to maybe try skydiving or to live or lead in, you know, whatever way they're called. So, Well, if yeah. nothing else, just to push out of the, the uh, boundaries that they believe that they, you know, have to follow because uh, they're all fucking bullshit, you know, get out and do what you're going to do. And to be able to, to watch a group of uh, you guys go out and do these incredible things that both women and men are just going to be thrilled with is extremely empowering. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's definitely a good time to be alive right now. Right. Well, there's definitely some weird things going on, but <laughs> of course. Right. Like, yeah. Speaking of, yeah. we might as we might as well touch base with that a little bit. How tough is it being a skydiver that's grounded and a mom that's got to deal with, um, you know, the kid home all the time in the the area of New York, anywhere in New York, where it's kind of I hate to use the phrase ground zero again. It's got to be pretty fucking intense. You know, it is. I think everyone has their own stories, but one of the weird things is is that we're all collectively around the world sharing for once in our life a kind of the same experience, even though it's not the same, but we're all collectively sharing this kind of weirdness, right? We're all going, each and every person is going through our own weirdness so we can be able to relate to each other in a certain way. But, right. but how it is here in New York, um, obviously we are in the hot spot, so... I've definitely had, you know, people like my son's, one of my son's friend's mom had it and and she had wrote this whole story about she had three children and she has never felt the pain in like all of the childbirth as she had felt going through the body aches that she felt with this COVID. And, you know, then I've heard of other people that had it but they didn't get, you know, quietly as badly as affected as she did and 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 vice versa and you know I definitely I know people that you know have lost their mums and so forth so it's definitely a little scary and um I'm just out of New York so the cases in our town we have 150 cases okay so not like we're right close to New York City we're an hour out of New York City we still have enough cases um we haven't had anyone die in our town but I you know, definitely know people who have have died from that so yeah it's different so i'm grounded obviously um but i feel busier than than usual mm. um because i have my son at home so like millions and millions of other people in the world we're now homeschooling our children sure and the schools are pretty supportive but for me like i mean i think everyone could say this i love who has a kid like i love my kids so much I love the opportunity to spend some extra time with him. Mm. And I can really see like some of where he's having a little struggles at school or struggles with certain subjects. I really can do some one-on-one help with him. Which is awesome. And, yeah. So it's really cool for me to be able to, to do that for him and be there for him and uh, spend some extra time with him. I'm just uh, hoping it keeps warming up here in New York. Cause we had like snow the other day. <laughs> Yeah, right. 
but where I am, we're pretty close to a lot of hiking, so we can go out and we're not passing anyone else. And if we do, we put our masks on and we move 12 feet away. Right. Uh, there's a lot of open areas that we can go and still get some fresh air here. But sure. yeah, I'm looking forward to starting back up in skydiving in out in coaching. I think my last job was the uh, first week in March. Right. Yeah. It's, so, it's, it's been quite the experience and it's, it, I, I think the majority of um, skydivers that I've keep track of and talked to have a, a a slightly more upbeat way of looking at things only because skydivers, if you've been in the sport for any length of time, have had to learn how to deal with negativity um, in one way or another and to overcome it and to joke about it. And granted the sense of humor gets a bit dark at times, um, <laughs> but it's a good way to cope with things. But I mean, you made a really good point. This is, I don't think this is just the first time in our lives. I think this is the first time in human history that the entire world, world is experiencing the same thing because i mean you had the big flu pandemic in 1918 but there was no facebook and there was no instagram and no twitter for everybody to commiserate back and forth around the entire planet so this is i think the first shared planetary experience where literally no matter who you talk to we're all like yeah this shit's kind of fucked up <laughs> which is yeah. in a way I think it could, fingers crossed, turn out to be a very positive thing globally because it's something we've all come through. And as you and I both know, shared hardship is a huge bonding thing. Absolutely. And you see a lot of people doing some really amazing things out there and taking this time to, you know, help the greater good. Yes. Like, you know, different companies that are, you know, making PPE for people and even in our skydiving, right, with Julio, making the masks for yes. people. Um, and I take my hats off to them, right, because to say I am not much of a sewer, but <laughs> during, this, during this COVID time, I just got a sewing machine in February because I'm working on my riggers ticket right now. So mm. I thought, oh, I have to practice sewing. So I started making some masks for a local uh, group around here in my town, Croton on Hudson, and it's amazing. They're all already over ten thousand masks that masks that they've donated. Wow. So I started making masks to help out and uh, do that. But I got to tell you, it took me a it takes me a long time just to make one mask. Sure. So I'm definitely not a machine, and so I, I really uh, take my hat off to the people like Julio and, and people in the sport that are you know, helping out in different ways to and get positive, a positive impact. I'm sure you're the same as me. It's kind of funny because I, I had Julio on the show as well. And, and uh, um, he spent most of the time talking about the masks and not promoting liquid sky, which in itself says a whole lot. Uh, but uh, knowing that there's a, a skydiving jumpsuit manufacturer that's out there doing that gives me a huge a sense of pride in the sport that I've made my life for 25 years because a skydiver is out there doing something that most people either can't or won't do. How fucking cool is that? I mean, it really is just this enormous sense of pride in our community and in skydivers in general uh, that they'll go out of their way to try and help as much as possible. It's super inspiring. And I know like Michigan suits, Mike Michigan is doing the same kind of thing. Yeah. He's you know, I, I can't remember what exactly, but he's making masks for and donating masks as well. And and so there's a, there's a lot of people that I, I don't have the names for right now, but even in industries such as like Lululemon have put 
a whole bunch of classes online for free that you can do. I do a lot of yoga classes with their online classes and their, uh, I think Patagonia ended up doing like, I'm probably going to butcher this number, but like <laughs> 250,000 PPE gowns for doctors and nurses and they all donated that. So it's really cool and to find those good and inspiring stories. And I think that's what we have to go after rather than like the fear-based Yes. Stuff and, but we have to be super aware for sure. But look at what the what good people are doing in this world. Yeah. No. And it's 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 uh, it's nice to be able to draw on both sides of that. I mean, again, the dark sense of humor makes you giggle and get you through. But being able to see those silver linings <laughs> is a damn big deal. It really is. So now, um, as we as we wrap things up, I want you to tell everybody how they can follow uh, not only Kaz, but how they can follow your new team, how they can uh, um, see what's going on with Flight One, what courses might be coming up, what websites, where do they need to be looking? Cool, sure. Um, well, for Flight One, uh, we've you know I've started getting my courses out there online now, so you can go to uh, Flight One dash flight-one.com and you can contact me through that as well it's kaz k-a-z at flight-one.com um, for courses or you know one-on-ones and they don't have to be actually through the curriculum actually just to to say quickly to that Maxine Tate and myself are putting together um, some swooping camps and we're going to be starting one in January in Z Hill. So if you are interested in learning, it doesn't matter where you are, like you could be just doing straight ends. If you are interested in learning, we're going to be doing that for a women's swoop uh, camp. Awesome. Please contact me at Kaz at Flight One and then I'll include you on any information that comes out. I'm also going to be doing a, a woman's, I've done a lot of flocking, so like canopy flying together. But I find when you're flocking with a lot of men, it sounds funny, right? Flocking. <laughs> right. <laughs> with men uh, <laughs> but you're flocking with a lot of men you have to wear a lot of weight sure. as a woman sometimes and it's 40 pounds it could be super uncomfortable so i'm going to be putting together a few camps where you know women that are on high performance canopies like valkyries and so forth can come and be a little less weighted down and and have some fun doing that mm. so definitely contact me at uh, kaz at flight one and then for the uh the highlight pro skydiving team like all of our demos, you're not going to see us jumping into NASCAR races. It's always it's always going to be a demo for a cause, mm. you know, something that's in alignment with with what we're doing. And uh, you can start to follow us on highlightskydiving.com. That's H-I-G-H-L-I-G-H-T, skydiving.com. And that's going to be our handles for, uh, you know, Facebook and uh, into what am I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, so they're going to be our handles for social media too. It's just going to be highlight skydiving. And uh, I think that's it. We do have some demos coming up. I don't know with COVID what's going to happen with those demos yet, but if uh, they don't end up turning into demos, we're still going to go out and do media jumps, and some of those are going to be um, coming up in June, July, and August. And you definitely should follow us on Highlight Skydiving and, and see what we're doing out there. It's going to be super, super awesome. interesting. Awesome. I, I can't wait to see what's going on. I mean, just from what I've heard from you and a couple other people, it sounds to me like you've got a hell of a plan going on. So it sounds fantastic. It is. It's, yeah, it's really awesome. cool. 
Well, Kaz, I'll tell you what, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to sit down with me and shoot the shit. And I know we've all got a fair amount of spare time on our hands, but you're a mom and doing all this other stuff. So thank you very much. Thanks, Dean. It's it's been real fun talking with you today, for sure. Really enjoyed it. You take care of yourself, and hopefully we're in the air soon. Awesome. Thanks so much, Dean. Bye-bye. All right. Once again, thank you for joining in on another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you, as always, by the greatest magazine in the known universe. That's Blue Skies Mag. Head to blueskiesmag.com where you can subscribe to the magazine. You can get all kinds of cool swag. You can also submit your photos, your article ideas, all that kind of stuff. For me, I am the fucking pilot. You can find me at the fucking That's where you're going to find copies of both the books that I've written. Uh, it's going to be the blue skies magazine, a book with previously published articles, as well as the accidental stripper, uh, both of those available in digital and print and liquid sky, liquid Check it out. They are doing amazing stuff to help out during these crazy times. They also happen to make some really fucking badass jumpsuits. So check them out. Again, thank you so much for your time. We'll see you next time around.